So we've been working through a series called The Songs of Our Savior um, in the Gospel of Luke, the birth story of Jesus. You have God coming and meeting certain people throughout the story of Jesus' birth. And what happens as God shows up and interrupts their life is that we get songs. That the response to God revealing himself and showing up in our life from what we see in the gospel is that it's always worship. The response to God showing up and revealing himself to us is that he gets our worship. And so tonight we're closing this up. We're looking at the last song. We're looking at the story of Simeon. And what I typically try to do as I'm preparing for Sundays is I try to read through the story or the passage that we are going to be going through for the evening. And I tried to do it in multiple different translations. And the thing that I kept coming back to as I was reading through this story was how much Simeon reminds me of my grandfather. All right. So here's, here's my grandfather. Here's a picture of me and my grandpa. Grandpa Taggart right there. Um, so this was on the way back. I, I got to preach at a camp for my hometown church over the summer. And on the way back, my grandfather's in Springfield, Missouri. We got to stop in, see him, got to visit him. And uh, there's two things uh, that really stood out to me about my grandfather and Simeon. So uh, in this story, Simeon is an older in age. And so my grandfather's in the last years of his life. He's lived a long and full life. So I don't say that as like sorrowful, but thankful for the time that I've gotten with my grandfather. Um, but two, uh, my grandpa likes to open gifts. <laughs> he loves gifts. So growing up, anytime that we were with my grandfather, and it was his birthday, his birthday is on December 7th. And so um, anytime that we would gather for my grandfather's birthday, um, we always would have a family meal, but then there's always the time of presents. And so we'd always ask my grandfather, hey, do you want to go ahead and eat your favorite meal or do you want to open presents? And he would always grab the present. He wouldn't even give us a response. He would just grab the presents and start opening. He loved opening gifts. And as we read through the story of Simeon tonight, we get a similar response from him, all right? So he's older in age. He's well along in his years. We see this at the very beginning of his song. After he sees Jesus, he, he, in his song, as he's singing his praise to God, he says, you can dismiss your servant in peace. These are the last and final years of his life, and he's like, I got what I wanted. And the thing that he wanted, we see this at the beginning of the story. It said of Simeon, that he's looking forward to Israel's consolation. What does that mean? Israel's consolation is referring to Israel's comforter, the consoler of God's people. It's referring back to the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah, you see constantly over and over throughout the book of the prophet Isaiah, that he is speaking about this coming comforter, this coming consoler, Israel's consolation, the one that's going to come fulfill all of God's promises, but he's also going to address all the deep hurt and wounds and all the suffering that Israel's people has endured throughout its history. Israel's consolation is coming. And so what you see here through this word looking forward, this phrase looking forward, is that there's this eager anticipation. That he's, there's this anticipation of this Israel's consolation that's going to come. And it, he's like the old grandfather that grabs for the present and is just ready to rip it up because he can't wait to receive the gift 
That's what you get here in this story. And as we look throughout Simeon's story, I couldn't help but think about where a lot of us coming into this service tonight probably are, right? So we're a week away from Christmas Eve. Some of that, that like your heart just, the heart rate just picked up. You're like, I have so much to do this next week, right? I mean, your schedules have been so packed and so busy. You have all the Christmas parties You have all the finals, you have all the traditions that you have to do, you have all the travel, you have all the letters, like you have all these things that are going on in your life and you're like, I have to make all the cookies, I have to get all the presents, I have to do all the wrapping, I have to get all the toys ready for the kids. You have all this stuff that's like on your, your mind, it's weighing on your heart, you feel like you're carrying a lot of burdens in on your shoulders tonight. And what we get in the story of Simeon, I think, is that he helps us understand in this coming week and the next week that you have before Christmas Day shows up, we get a model in Simeon's life of how we truly get to celebrate and practice the day of Christmas. That's what we get in Simeon's life. Specifically, we see in Simeon's life three things. We get how you prepare yourself for Christmas, how you receive the gift of Christmas, and how you deal with the challenge of Christmas. Get those three things in Simeon's life. So here's my prayer as we work through those. It's going to be like, if you have a roadmap for tonight, that's going to be our roadmap for tonight. And here's my prayer, that as we see Simeon's example, that we would choose to follow it this week. As we see Simeon's example, the life that he lived before us and the story that we're going to unpack tonight, that we would intentionally and mindfully say, I'm going to follow Simeon's pattern. That's my prayer for us tonight. And if we do that, I believe we'll actually get to receive and enjoy and delight in the season that we call Christmas and the way that God really intends us to do. All right? That sound good? Like a... Breath of fresh air. That's what I hope. All right, so here's how we're going to do this. We're going to look at those three different uh, ways, and then we're going to take some time at the end to pray together. Just a time of response for us to actively try to ask God to come and actually work in our life in the way that we see he does in Simeon's life. All right, so the first thing we need to do is we need to look at how Simeon prepared for Christmas. Let's look how we see this in verses 25 through 27. Here's what it says. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to Israel's consolation, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he saw the Lord's Messiah, and guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. All right, so we get a lot of details about Simeon's life here. And there's a lot of interesting ones that are in here. And here's what they all point to. They all point to the relationship that Simeon Simeon shared with God. So if you pay attention here, Luke mentions the Holy Spirit three times in two verses. Here's what he says. The Holy Spirit was on him. So God is with Simeon. Secondly, the Holy Spirit revealed to Simeon that he would not die before seeing the Messiah. So God speaks to Simeon. 
And then thirdly, guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. So we see that God directs Simeon. He guides his life. Now, if you're like me, as I was reading through this, I had so many questions. <laughs> I was looking through this, and I look at those three different examples, and I just get, my mind gets flooded with questions. So I, I read, the Holy Spirit was on him, and it's like, well, what did Simeon do? Like, what is it in Simeon's life that Simeon did in order that God would, like, snuggle up tight this close to Simeon? What was it? What, what were the practices? Like, how, how did this happen? Did he, like... Is it like the Old Testament where Elisha prays for double portion of the spirit that's on Elijah? Like, what, what's going on? I, I don't know. The second one, like, revealed to him that God spoke to him. Like, how did, how did Simeon know? How did, know? how did Simeon know that was actually the voice of God? I, I mean, what were the distinctions? How did he decipher? What, these are the questions that you shared these questions with me. Like, these are the questions. Maybe I'm just the crazy one. Then you have, guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. And it's like, did he get a sign? Did he have a dream? So we hear people talk about, like, he got a word. Like, what happened here? These are all, like, legit questions. I have these questions. I don't think these are the places to start, though. Here's the question I think we need to start with. How did Simeon grow so close to God? I think that's the question we need to start with. How did Simeon grow so close to God? Look, there's intimacy here. God is with him. God speaks to him. God guides him. God directs him. There's an intimacy. There's a closeness. There's a nearness that Simeon shares with God in his relationship with him. And I believe that's where the question that we need to start with. And I think the answer is that you see in Simeon's life that he makes room for God. He makes room for God. We sing about this in Christmas songs, don't we? Prepare him room, right? We, we sing these songs like we, we know this is part of the Christmas season, but we so rarely see someone that actually makes the space for God in their life in order to experience the type of intimacy that we see Simeon shares with God himself. And here's where I'm getting this. I'm not just making this. I'm not just like fabricating this, right? So here's where I'm getting that Simeon makes room in his life for intimacy with God. It's in the other distinctions of Simeon's life. It said that Simeon is righteous and he's devout. What does that mean? Righteousness here means that he is in de he's devoted to doing this as well, that he is the one that practices the commands of God in his life. This is in many ways, pre-Jesus, right? All of his life has been leading up to this point where now just with eight days, Jesus has entered into this world. And so the pattern and the habit of Simeon's life is he says, I have believed that what God has said, the pattern for how you live in this life is actually the best way to live. The commands of God are actually the scriptures that the believers in God had at this point in time. And so what Simeon said is, I have so believed that God's word 
is what is actually best for my life, that it's going to be the path and it's going to be the guide in which I live in this life. And so what the Bible says is that Simeon was righteous, he obeyed God's commands, and that he was devoted to doing this. That it's the instinctual pattern over the long haul of his life, that whenever you look at the course, the arc of his life, that it's actually that he's done everything that he can to bend his life towards the commands of God. He, he said to all the things of this world, the promises that you give me, I believe are empty, but the commands of God are what is gonna lead to fullness in this life. That's what Simeon's done. He's listened to God's word. He's followed its instruction, and it's led to a sense of intimacy. And then we've already looked at this phrase, but looking forward to Israel's consolation. This means like the prize of his life, God has spoken into his life. He's, the Bible tells us that he's looking forward to Israel's consolation, the promise that God has told him he will lay eyes on the savior of the world before he passes away in this life. He's like, I so, there's nothing that I want more in this life than to see God's promise come to fruition in my life. I mean, what would your answer be to what Simeon says at the beginning of his song? He says, now master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you have promised. I mean, if that's us, we have so many other blanks that fill. Like, now you can let me rest in peace. I mean, whether it's your promotions at work, getting the family that you want, finally having the size of the bank account that you always desired, the vacations, the dream home, all these different, it, God, if you, if you give me this, then your servant can rest in peace. Simeon's like, the only thing that can let me rest well, like lay my life down in peace, is that I get the promise of God fulfilled in my life. He has this closeness and this intimacy and this richness that he's had in his life because he's made room for God. He's made him room. He's prepared space and room so that he can enjoy intimacy and fellowship with the God of the universe. So the invitation here from Simeon's life over the course of this next week is, will you prepare a room? Will you make space in your life this week to experience the presence of God that when the promise of the scriptures is that when we draw near to him, that he draws near to us? Here's, here's the response for a lot of us. Well, Josh, I just don't have, I don't have time. I don't have the time. Right? We come in, like, we hear this a lot in D groups. We come in, it's like, uh, we work through catechism or work through a Bible discussion or we work through times of prayer together and it comes to like our time to recite or our time to speak into the passage and it comes to you and it's like, I, I just didn't have time this week. I have no doubt that every single one of us are busy in this room. I mean, this is why I started off the sermon the way that I did. Like we feel the, the rush of the Christmas season right now. You live busy lives. But look, that you don't have enough time is a lie. It's a lie. And 
it's a lie that I true I, I believe that we all think is true in our life. I think we all believe I really truly don't have enough time. But here's here's what is actually true. You don't have a time problem, you have a time spending problem. It's the way that you spend your time that is actually the problem in your life. Let me kind of try to tease this out for us a little bit, all right? So um, I got to meet with this leadership guru in October, all right? The guy started this company called Life Pulse, and he's met with Microsoft executives, Google executives, Apple executives, and he lives in like Moscow Mill, Kentucky, or uh, Missouri, right? So it's like, how do you do that there? I don't know. But he came and he, he spoke and he just kind of like blew my mind, all right? So here's, here's what he had to say. He, he really pointed a lot to like our screen time. All right, so you got, pulled out your phone this morning. You got your weekly report, didn't you? Right? You got your weekly report. Here's how much screen time that I had. Do you know what the average time per adult in America is for time spent looking at your phone? Like, we're smaller. You can speak back to me. Do anybody know? Three hours. Ten hours. Six hours. <laughs> a day. Here's what it is a day. A day. <laughs> it's three hours and 43 minutes. The average adult looks at their phone for three hours and 43 minutes per day. You know how many times on average we pick up our phone per day? 58. 58 times a day you reach for the phone to pick it up and look at it. Three hours and 43 minutes 58 times a day do you pick up and look at that device. All right, so that stings a little bit, right? <laughs> How many books do you have on your nightstand right now? Uh, like if you were, what is it, Goodreads? Is that what you do? <laughs> you look at your report that you've had for the last year. How many books have you flown through? 20. <laughs> all right, here's the last one, all right? Um, how many shows, on average, do we watch before we go to sleep each night? Just average American. Average is two to three episodes of a show before you go to sleep. <laughs> all right, hey, look. You don't have a time problem you have a time spending problem. You are busy. But you don't have a time problem, you have a time spending problem. The invitation this next week is that you would make room. You'd be like Simeon. You look at the things of this world. You say, the thing that my life depends on is a closeness and an intimacy with the God of the universe. And I'm going to align my life with it. Here's a simple way that this life coach, leadership coach, 
so that you can do this, all right? Now, I've tried to do this, and it, look, it's working for me, so I want to share it with you. You find gold, you share it with somebody else. He's, he said, take five minutes at the end of your day to plan for tomorrow. Take five minutes at the end of your day to plan for tomorrow. Here's what he told us. He says, the average American spends more time planning one social media post than they do their entire week. That's 15 minutes. The average American spends 15 minutes more time on one social media post, planning out, thinking through the words, getting the filter right on the picture, like getting the caption right, doing all of that, spends more time doing that than they do planning their entire week. Look, he had us go through this exercise where you list out the things that you have to get done the very next day. Like, if before your head hits the pillow, here are the things that I must do before I can go to sleep that night. And he told us, and this was proven true, that you have about seven things, like deep work that you can do throughout, usually spend about maybe three of them. The rest is just you reacting and responding to everything else that comes to you during the day. That's what ends up filling up your plate. And you feel busy, you feel rushed, you feel hurried, but look, it's just because your life is always reacting instead of planning. So what it looks like is for you to say, I'm going to make room. Tomorrow, I'm not gonna react, but I'm gonna plan. And part of your planning, that five minutes, is you look throughout your, your schedule for the next day and says, this is the time. This is the time. This is when I'm gonna meet with my God. I'm gonna make room I'm going to spend time, I'm going to prioritize it because there's nothing more important in my life than spending time with the God of the universe. That's what Simeon did. Look, you can do it too. It's the invitation of Christmas. This is, if you want to be prepared in a week to the best of your ability, right? A lot of us, it's like we have a lot of undoing to do from the Christmas season. But to take that step, look, you make room. That's what Simeon did. That's God's invitation for you too. Second thing that you see here is you see the way that Simeon receives the gift of Christmas. We see this in 27 through 32. Guided by the Spirit, he entered the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary under the law, Simeon took him up in his arms, praised God, and said, Now, Master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. For my eyes have seen your salvation. You have prepared it in the presence of all peoples and a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. All right, so we get to see Simeon. He comes into the temple, old man in old age, intimacy, closeness, nearness with God. He comes into the temple. What we see here is he's not like this old man that's just camped out in the temple, but he's actually responding to the work of God, the voice of the Holy Spirit inside of him. It directs him to the temple. 
And the parents bring in the child Jesus to perform for him what was customary. So he's coming in for circumcision on the eighth day. And they're coming to like give the sacrifices that God has called for bringing their firstborn son and devoting their son to God. And then verse 28, Simeon took him up in his arms. Out of all of the New Testament stories, Simeon is the only one that has said that he took up the baby boy Jesus in his arms. Picked up the baby. That held the baby Jesus in his arms. Like, to the parents, can I just hold them? My life has been pointed to this very moment. Can can I just take Jesus up in my arms? Can I I just hold the baby? Can I, I receive the gift? Can Can I just have the close embrace of Israel's consolation? The promised comforter the one that was told was going to come and console all of God's people. Can I, can I just hold the baby? Can, can I just take him? Can I hold him? And it says, praise God. Can you just imagine this? Like, Can you imagine holding baby Jesus? <laughs> John tells us that most didn't recognize him. Simeon did. He takes up the baby. And all he can do is sing. He just, he gets a song. All his soul can do is sing. And as he's singing, here's the words that he mutters. Now, master, you can dismiss your servant in peace as you promised. You, you fulfilled it, God. You did it. I, I'm holding your promise in my arms. It's in my, it's like on my bosom. It's, head on my chest like he's listening to my heartbeat right now. My eyes have seen your salvation. Can you just like imagine like Simeon singing this, but he, it's like he can't take his eyes off of baby boy Jesus. He's infatuated. I've held four of my boys in my own arms. Whenever you hold that baby, you just can't take your eyes off of it. Simeon just has that, that gaze, man. He's got that gaze. Here's what he says about Jesus. You have prepared, speaking of salvation, you have prepared it in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. Here's what he's saying. This, this baby that I hold. It's, it's like what my life is pointed to. I can't take my eyes off of him. He's just, he's better than I imagined. And God, like this baby, he's not just for the people of Israel, but he's the light of salvation for all people. What happens with this baby's life that I hold in my arms 
is gonna actually be used to save anybody and everybody that trusts in his life and work for a right relationship with God. He's the glory of Israel. Here's why he's the glory of Israel. Because it's through Israel, they're the mediator by which God brings salvation into the world. So if you have a family line, if you do Ancestry.com or something, like what people get geeked out about is whenever they find a celebrity or somebody that's well-known that shows up in their family line that they can go tell everybody about. Like my parents did this and supposedly like we're the eighth cousin of Pocahontas or something like that. It's like, that's what you tell people, right? Israel is the, Jesus is the glory of Israel because God uses Israel to bring salvation to the whole world. Now what stands out about all of this to me as you're looking at Simeon as we're thinking about Christmas is the way that he receives God's gift. I mean, I've, I've tried to like kind of give you some mental pictures just through like my own body language, right? He cherishes the gift. He savors it. He didn't rush through that moment with Jesus. He didn't. He wasn't like, okay, great. That's awesome. Okay, I saw Jesus. Now I can go about throughout my day. And like, I bet Mary and Joseph had such a hard time getting away from Simeon. <laughs> Have you ever gone into a person, an elderly person's home that hasn't hung out with anybody for a while and tried to leave that house? <laughs> That's what Simeon is doing with Mary and Joseph. Simeon is just, man, he is soaking it up. He enjoyed Jesus. So not only did Simeon make room in his life, space in his life, to spend time with the God of the universe, but the gift of Christmas comes, and what does he do? He enjoys it. He enjoys the gift. He receives it. He holds on to it, praises God, sings songs. Jesus has Simeon's gaze. When we make space and time to be with Jesus, how often times is it rushed? I, I gotta get through reading through the Bible. I gotta get through this. Maybe like there's like a little nugget. Okay, great. Now I gotta go to this, this, and this. And throughout my I think the invitation that we see in Simeon's life here is that you receive God's gift of salvation, which is the coming of Jesus into the world. You enjoy it. You don't read and move on, but you read and you savor. Here, so I, I got four boys, they love treats. <laughs> um, we had those little Debbie Christmas cakes last night. You know what I'm talking about? Dude, those are, that's where it's at. The red box, you open that bad boy up. Here's what happened around our whole entire table. 
it's like that baby was opened and it was gone. <laughs> there was no savoring, except for one. Our Sawyer always chooses to savor what is sweet. So even when we get donuts in the morning, we go to donut drive-in. Can I get an amen? You go to donut drive-in, you go get your box of donuts, you come back, Sawyer, he just eats half. And then he always comes to cherish me, can I save it for later? And so he comes back at lunch, hey, can I, do you sell my donut? (laughs) And so he takes a couple of nibbles and I'm gonna save the rest for later. And then dinner time comes around, hey, do you still have my donut? (laughs) And then he finishes it off and he just kind of like savors it throughout the day. Look, I think Sawyer's a perfect picture for how we enjoy Jesus. So you come and you take up Jesus into your arms by grabbing the word. You've made space in your schedule, and so you come and you meet with King Jesus. And so you take up the word into your arms, and you enjoy him. And here's what usually is going to happen, all right? So sometimes it's going to feel like, incredible. Sometimes it's going to feel just down here. But even whenever it's just down here, you always get a sliver of truth. And what you do is you take that sliver of truth and you savor it throughout the day. When I was in high school, I used to write like things from my time with God, like on my hand. (laughs) And then it was like, people were, you're going to get lead poisoning or something. So I stopped, and, uh, but I may bring it back. But like, what would it look like if you had like, just on your wrist, faithfulness, deeply loved, redeemer, delight of my soul, little nuggets that you took that when lunchtime came around, you just, you pulled it back out. God, you're my delight. Jesus, you saved me. I deserve death. You gave me life. I was lost, but now I'm found. You savor it throughout the day. What if this next week, you don't just make room for God in your life, but you actually enjoy him and savor him? Now, we prepare for Christmas. We receive and enjoy the gift of Christmas. There's also a challenge that comes with Christmas, and we see this at the very end, all right? Verses 33 through 35 says this. His father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and told his mother Mary, Indeed, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed, and a sword will pierce your own soul that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This isn't the response you would expect after what you've just saw 
Simeon do with baby boy Jesus in his arms, is it? Like if you're Mary and Joseph, this isn't what you're expecting to hear. I mean, they, just think about all that's happened in their life to this point, right? I mean, they've had angels that have come and visited both of them personally. They have a cousin that miraculously have a little child. And whenever Mary comes pregnant to her cousin Elizabeth, baby John the Baptist in the, in the little belly, like jumps up celebrating because this is the savior that's in Mary's womb. They have they go and they have the baby boy and there's no room in the inn and so they have to go to this stinking little old cave manger where dirty, gross animals feed out of and they lay the baby boy Jesus there. But what happens? They have shepherds that come and visit them because angels visited them. Heaven broke through. Like all of these things that have happened and now... This old man, Simeon, that God has promised won't see death until he sees the Savior of the world, comes and says to them, this child is destined to cause the fall and rise of many in Israel. Wait, we're talking about the Messiah, right? Like, you're seeing the right people, (laughs) right? Are you sure you don't have us mixed up with somebody else? He'll be the sign that will be opposed. That's, that's not what we were expecting. A sword will pierce your own soul. Ugh. Thoughts of many hearts will be revealed because of him. Look, this is a challenge of Christmas, okay? Because look, when you make room for God and then you draw near and receive the gift, we have to recognize that we are still struggling with deep, dark wounds and sin and struggle. So when you make room for him and you draw near to him, He's going to confront you. When you open up the scriptures, what Hebrews tells us is that it's alive and active like we talked about before we stood up and we read the word together. And what the Bible tells us is that it pierces between bone and marrow, between soul and spirit. It's saying that it's going to pierce you to your very own soul. God loves you enough that he's willing to bring wound into your life in order that he can ultimately heal you. That's what he's talking about here. Jesus is going to live a life that is perfect, but it's going to be confrontational. You have to declare him as Lord. He demands a decision. And here's here's what we need to understand, all right? So when we open up the scriptures, you are going to feel conviction. 
There's going to be times that you feel conviction over things that are happening in your life, present day. It's going to hurt. Unfortunately, a lot of the times our response is we just try to move on. We get busy, we don't deal with it because we're afraid. If I deal with the sin that is confronted in my life, I'm afraid how other people are going to respond. What are people going to think of me? If I've wronged somebody else, are they going to actually forgive me? Are they going to retaliate? Are they going to get upset? Like, what's going to happen in my relationships? We function out of fear. And over time, as we push down or we move on, here's what happens. We lose our sensitivity to sin. A sensitive conscience is a precious gift from God. To waste it would be an absolute tragedy in your life. Here's the invitation here. Are you going to deal with it and then turn to Jesus? Here's how Tim Keller puts repentance. He says repentance is like antiseptic. It burns at first, but it ultimately leads to healing. Do you want to be well? Do you want to actually experience the life and the wholeness that Jesus offers us? Then whenever the prick of the conviction of sin happens in your life, you don't push it down, but you actually deal with it. And you turn to Jesus. You say no to the way that I used to live. You make it and bring it to light with other people. And then you say, through the power of the Spirit, I'm going to walk a different way. I'm going to turn towards Christ. I'm going to live the life that Christ offers me. I'm going to turn to the life and practice putting on the fruit of the Spirit, practice putting on the practices of the call that Jesus has laid on my life. This is going to be my new pattern. And you remain and you keep a sensitive spirit, sensitive conscience to your sin. And look, Jesus will make you well. This is the challenge of Christmas. God will confront you because he loves you. And if we come to him with a soft and sensitive conscience and spirit, and we confess of our sin, and we turn to Jesus, he'll make you well. Here's how. The sword that pierces Mary's spirit is the ultimate price that Jesus bears upon himself for the, the cost and the weight of our own sin. The conviction pierces our soul. The nails pierce Jesus' hands and feet. It kept him on the cross. The execution that you and I deserved for our sin, Jesus bore on himself. He said, I'll take the piercings so that I can give you my fullness, so that I can give you and make you well. If you turn to me, 
what I've done for you, what we just sung about, this coming of Jesus, this Jesus that went to die in your place. He says, I do this for you so that you can get my completeness. And when we turn to him and we come and we, re- we recognize and remember that the full price of our sin, past, present, and future, was bore on that cross by Jesus, and we confess it and we turn to him, we recognize that all of the wrath that God could possibly have towards us was delivered to Jesus on his shoulders and his wounds, and you don't have to bear it. So you can confess and repent and not live in fear, and when you turn to Jesus, he'll make you well. So I got a few questions for us, and then we're gonna take some time to pray, all right? Will you make him room? This week, will you make him room? Will you reject the lie that we've all commonly believed that we're too busy? And will you make him room? And secondly, whenever you make him room, will you enjoy him? Will you just enjoy him? Savor him? And whenever he does pierce your soul, will you turn to him? Just this past week, um, I was meeting with a guy that he, he and I met for coffee. He disclosed something that he had done in recent past. And he was wrestling with, do I go and confess this sin to the person that I've wronged? And uh, he wrestled with it. A few weeks went past. This past week, he came over to my house. He's like, Josh, I did it. I confessed it. I confessed the sin. And he was, he was so scared. And I was like, well, how did he respond? He's like, Josh, he told me he already knew. I was like, what? he already knew. So like, what, like, how did he respond? He was like, Josh, the grace that he showed me, I never could have imagined would be the grace that would have shown to me. If a fallen, sinful human being can give that kind of grace and he can walk away feeling so free, so forgiven, look, Imagine the freeness and the forgiveness and the wholeness that you can find in Jesus. It's open to you this week. Will you enjoy Christmas? Christ has come. Christ is coming again.